The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Doug Bursch, and this is the Fairly Spiritual Show. On today's show, I'm going to talk about a couple things. One, when people admit to their weaknesses or their struggles, maybe the best thing is that we just listen. We don't offer advice. I've noticed on social media that people have a habit of offering advice to people who aren't asking for advice. We're also going to look at this issue. Are we really good at defining ourselves? Do we really know where we're going? We're going to look at the power of living a spirit-filled life. It often leads us to places we never imagined we'd reach on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. for listening to the Fairly Spiritual Show. I am your host, Dr. Doug Bursch. So glad you could join me today. So uh, I'm going to talk about a couple things on today's show. The main focus, I think this could be the main focus. I don't know, maybe the first thing I talk about goes way too long. But I think the main focus of today's show is going to be on how we're not good at defining ourselves. And sometimes we pay far more attention to trying to you know, figure out who we are and to compartmentalize. And we we do all these things. We take gift inventory tests and personality tests, and uh, we, we work on our bio, and this is who I am, and these are my strengths, and these are my weaknesses. We spend far too much time on that when we really don't know where God's going to lead us. That when you live this Spirit-filled life, we end up in places we never thought we'd end up. And I, I've been looking at the life of Philip, and his life is just—in uh, fact, if I said to you, who's Philip? Uh, what would you say? Some people would say, well, Philip, he's one of the, the deacons. There were seven deacons that were picked in Acts. But Philip doesn't end up being a deacon. Philip actually, in the book of Acts, later in Acts, you know, maybe if you didn't finish the book, some of us are like that. It's okay, raise your hand if you didn't finish the whole book. But in the beginning, he starts as a deacon. At the end of the book, he's called Philip the Evangelist. And the reason he goes from deacon to evangelist is he does something very simple but very radical. He follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think all of us need that awareness today, Uh, wherever you're at right now, however you define yourself, however others define you, that might not be your destination. You might define yourself as Philip the deacon, but God says, nope, you're going to be Philip the evangelist. This journey is a long journey, and when we follow the Spirit's leading, it's amazing where we end up. It's also a little scary because sometimes we like to define who we are. We like to make these nice clear boundaries and say, this is what I do, this is what I don't do, here's my gifts, here's my strengths, here's my weaknesses, this is what I volunteer for, this is what I don't volunteer for, I'm not that kind of person. You know who you are, right? You do this like, you know, I'm not really a women's retreat kind of person, or I don't really do men's groups, or oh, I'm touching a nerve now, right? Well, whatever the thing is, right, you just say, that's not who I am. I'm more of an introvert. I'm more of an extrovert. I'm offending more and more people the more things I say, right? We define ourselves in these very clear ways. And it doesn't mean that these aren't defining characteristics of us right now. But this doesn't mean that God is going to keep us in this place. Something happens. Something amazing happens when we follow the Spirit's leading. 
There's a transformation that occurs. And it doesn't mean that what we're doing right now is wrong. It just means that we're being led to something more. In fact, as I'm talking right now, I don't even know if I'm going to get into that other point. So let's do some housework first really quickly. If you want to text the show, text 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. I love reading your text. I guess I don't love reading them if they're really mean, but I will read those as well. 360-818-4513. You can also leave a message. And you can go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. And we need you to donate to keep this show on the radio. We will not stay on the radio unless we get regular donors. So if you've never donated and you like the show and you listen to us on the radio, then you fit in that category. Pray about it. A $25 donation, a $100,000 donation, somewhere in between. All of that will help greatly. Here's the reality. It's probably just going to be $25. And that's wonderful. That gift matters. Your kindness is greatly appreciated. So go to fairlyspiritual.org and you can donate today. I was going to talk about another topic. I'll just say really briefly, um, I've noticed this. Let's just avoid this, okay? Can I meddle a little bit? Can I just tell you what to do? You say, hey, don't tell me what to do. You don't know me. And that's exactly the point. I've noticed that we get in this habit, especially on social media, of telling people what to do when we, when we really have no idea what's going on. It's one thing to give general principles. It's one thing, you know, just to say, ah, this is my view on parenting, and this is my view on marriage, and this is what I think the Bible says about this. It's another thing to go to someone and say, you should do this, or you should do that. And I've noticed one of the things that we do is we often, and I'm going to say we, I'm going to include myself in this, that we often give advice to people who aren't asking for advice. Uh, I think it was last week I was tweeting out something on uh, weight. I've been losing some weight, and I just, it was a joke, this kind of idea. I was saying, man, these last 10 pounds have been really hard to lose. And I was joking like, these are like squatter pounds. They're just, they won't leave the house. They, they can't be tricked. They can't be fooled. I'm just expressing that reality that anyone knows who's, who's trying to lose weight, that sometimes you just plateau and it's difficult. So I'm sharing a struggle, a weakness, there's nothing in my tweet that says, hey, please give me unsolicited advice. But I found this. If you say anything about weight, and by the way, uh, I've said this on the air, so someone might text me some diet plan as well, because people so much want to give you unsolicited advice. Now, this is different. It's different than just if you want to write something to the world, that's fine. You want to tweet something to the world? You want to Facebook post something to the world? Uh, you want to have a general email that people can subscribe to? That is different than going up to someone who tells you, hey, you know, I've, I've kind of been struggling. And they're just telling you about a struggle. And you come in and say, you know what you need to do? Uh, you know, cut down on this and do this. And you start giving them advice. I've noticed with weight, we do that a lot. We do it in social media. And sadly, we do that one-on-one -on -one where people will give unsolicited advice to people making assumptions when unless somebody asks you to speak into their life, or unless you have a strong relationship where you know you can speak into each other's life, I firmly believe it ain't your right to say anything to someone when it comes to their health, unless they've invited you into that equation. So I just think this is important because this is what happens. People need places to share weaknesses. And so I'd just like you to think about that. 
uh, in a church context. Um, some churches have, well, at some level, whether it's in the main service, whether it's in a um, Bible study, one-on-one, you'll have prayer requests, you'll have blessings. But a safe church should be a place where someone is allowed to share something without getting a bunch of advice. And, and here's two different things. Here, here's, here's the prayer request. We're going to go through this. So someone says, you know, I, I just need prayer. I've been feeling kind of anxious this week. There's their prayer. Okay, so what should we do if someone says, I've been feeling kind of anxious this week. I'd like prayer. We should pray for them. We shouldn't give them unsolicited advice. Now, if you're a friend and they know you and they want advice and you know that's why they're bringing it up, I, I get that relational context. But it's amazing in our prayer requests, or just not even a prayer request, where you just say, hey, how are you doing today? You know, at church, you greet somebody. How are you doing? Like, oh, I've just been really stressed out. And the first thing you say, well, you know what I would do when I'm stressed out? And you just start giving them advice. When we do that, uh, uh, well, this is what happens, particularly if our advice isn't good, is they stop sharing their weaknesses. They stop, they stop sharing their struggles. You're just not a safe person. I've found this you know, time and time again. There's just people where, even other pastors, I can share something with other pastors, and if I can just say, you know, hey, Doug, how's it going in the church? Well, you know, it's kind of a struggle lately. You know, we're in the summer, and uh, in the summer, people go on vacation, which is fine. The, the numbers are down. It's a little, little bit of stress, feeling a little down. Uh, they can say, hey, thanks for sharing that, Doug. Appreciate that. I'll pray for you. But if I share that with another pastor who likes to give everyone advice, and they go, you know what you need to do? And then they give me this big list of things I need to do. You know what I do next time that pastor asks me how things are going? I just go, yeah, they're fine. Or, or I don't share any details. They're not safe. Sadly, some of the most opinionated people think they're helping everyone's problems, and in fact, people just hide their problems from them. So I just wanted to throw that out for you, that just look at, this is a great thing that all of us can do. Are you safe? Do you give unsolicited advice to people? Do you go around just telling people what to do when they haven't asked for that? Or have you earned some relational equity? I'm amazed people will do this with strangers. Like, what gives us the right to come to some stranger and say, this is what you should do? If you don't even know the person, maybe first just know if this person's safe or not. So that's just one area. But this other area I wanted to get into is the concept of, of planning our lives out. And this is another thing, because giving someone you know, unsolicited advice is kind of like planning their life out. I'm so glad you told me about your weakness today, because I'm here to fix you. Uh, here's another area that often we're trying to fix ourselves or control ourselves or plan our lives, and we have it all strategically figured out. But the reality is we don't. And I just want to share with you a little bit about Philip's life. Uh, if you look in the, the book of Acts, I've been just loving going through the book of Acts with our church, just enjoying getting into detail into the Word of God. And, and I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, the one thing you can do is get deep into the Word of God. We, we don't need more debates about politics. We don't need more debates about anything if you're not in the Word of God. Th that's our holy book, right? And if you don't value the Word of God, then why would you base the rest of your life on a book that you don't read and you don't really value? So get into the Word. And, and so as I've been going through Acts, I've noticed how important this whole development of the ministry of deacons. And I just want to tell you about Philip's life br briefly. So the whole story goes like this, and you'll just have to read through the first you know, seven or eight chapters of Acts to kind of get this. 
But you have this problem that the, the apostles, there's revival going on in Jerusalem, and they're, they're so overwhelmed with what's going on in the temple or the temple courts that they feel like they don't have enough time for all the conflicts that are occurring. And one of the conflicts that's occurring is the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, uh, widows primarily, there's these disputes going about who's being fed. So they have a feeding program for the poor, for widows, and there's a dispute between the Hebraic and the Hellenistic, Greek-speaking, uh, non-Greek-speaking. And in that conflict, you know there's probably some cultural issues and there's some hierarchy issues as well, like who's a true Jew and who's a true, uh, the true chosen one. Yes, you know, the Greek, Hellenistic Jews, they're Jews, but then there's the Hebraic Jews and they're the real Jews. And you, and you know there's all these tensions in Jerusalem between the foreigners and the real people, the those who are first generation and second generation, those who've come into the faith, those who've been in the faith the whole time, the who's the real chosen people. But anyway, there's this conflict that's going on. And for the apostles, they come to this place and they're saying, we just don't have time for this. And they say something very harsh. They say, we don't have time to wait on tables. We need to dedicate ourselves to the preaching of the word and to, and to prayer. So they find seven men to uh, join this category called deacons. And what you find, the deacons category was for the purpose of doing the stuff the basically the apostles didn't want to do or didn't have time to do. The waiting on tables, the distributing of food to the widows, the dealing with conflicts between the Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews. And, and what you find in this list of deacons is you find Hellenistic names or Greek names. So you can see what's happening is the apostles aren't Greek, but in this deacon category, you have someone like Philip. Philip, his name is a Hellenistic name. He, so he can speak the language of the Hellenistic Jews. And you can almost see this idea that he's in the second category. He can't be in the category of the apostles, and he can't do the real important work of the apostles. So he's given the less important work, the second tier work that the Hellenistic Jews do. And he's given the work of waiting on tables, or at least that's what they call it. But immediately we find that another deacon, Stephen, uh, has this powerful message. He is persecuted. He's murdered, a stoned to death. As a result of that, the church is scattered, and everyone is scattered except for the apostles. The apostles, they still don't want to touch the apostles as far as those who are persecuting the church, so they stay in Jerusalem. But these deacons, they are attacking the deacons, and probably attacking them because um, many of them are not Hebraic as well. They're Hellenistic. And so we see that Philip runs to a community that is probably safe. He goes to Samaria. And if you know where Samaria is, that's where the Samaritans are. And again, this is another area where the Samaritans are, were looked down upon by the Hebraic Jews because they were seen as corrupted, that they had married into other cultures and other ethnicities. And so they wouldn't associate with each other. That's where the Good Samaritan story comes from. So Philip goes to this community where he's hoping they won't come and find him, and all the Hellenistic Jews probably go there as well because they don't want this persecution to come from the, the Hebraic Jews. And while he's there, he doesn't wait on tables. He preaches the gospel. He teaches the gospel, and signs and wonders and miracles occur, and many are saved. So many are saved that the apostles come to see what's going on, and the apostles come, they lay hands on people, and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. From that point, you see that Philip leaves, it looks like from the narrative, Philip leaves with two apostles, he heads back to Jerusalem, but then the Holy Spirit tells him, I want you to go somewhere else. And this is where we're seeing that Philip is just being obedient to the Lord. He starts in a position that has lower repute 
than the apostles. He's just going to wait on tables. But immediately persecution comes, and he's sent out to basically preach and teach and do signs and wonders while he's on the run. And so he reaches these Samaritans, and they're a rejected class by many, but he says, no, the gospel's for you. And so revival occurs, and then he basically brings the apostles in, and they say, hey, I guess, look at this. I guess Jesus is for the Samaritans. I guess those stories are true of the good Samaritan because the gospel is spreading in Samaria. But he doesn't go back to Jerusalem, just kind of hang out with the apostles again. The Holy Spirit tells him to move forward, to keep moving based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we see in Acts 8 that he's called, uh, and I'll just look at this briefly here because it's such a, a powerful story here. Uh, let's go to Acts 8, 27. If, if you're looking at your Bible, uh, you, you, I'd love it if you could read all of Acts 8, but just we'll just read this part here. Uh, let's go Acts 8, 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he goes from Jerusalem south, and basically he's going towards Gaza. So now he's in the northeast corner of Egypt. And it says in verse 27, so he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, probably that guy was not Ethiopia that we see today. He was probably from the Sudan, which is a little north of Ethiopia. But still, he's maybe 600 or 1,000 miles uh, lives away from Jerusalem. And he had headed to Jerusalem uh, as a devout follower. But he is an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, He's an African eunuch. And as a, a eunuch, that basically means he's a castrated man. And because he's a castrated man... He cannot go into the temple because that means he's unclean with the Old Testament law. So let's go on with this narrative. He says he's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah, and it was from Isaiah 53, and said, do you understand what you are reading? And the the eunuch said, "Uh, well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And I I want you to read this later on, because there's so much we could talk about, but I don't have enough time in this half an hour show. But but in this context, this Ethiopian eunuch had just gone to Jerusalem, and he's considered unclean, so he's not able to enter the temple. And probably also because he's Uh, from Africa, and he's a second-class or third-class citizen in that culture, he really doesn't have anyone to teach him. And so when he says, how can I? I don't have anyone to teach me. He's talking from that frustration as well. And Philip says, I'll teach you. And Philip teaches him that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. And then the eunuch says, can I be baptized now? And Philip's like, sure. And Philip baptizes him. So he goes from being so unclean that he can't enter the temple, to the temple of the Most Holy Lord, which is Philip saying, I'm going to immerse you in these waters and fully accept you into the gospel. So Philip goes to the Samaritans who were rejected and says, the gospel fully receives you. And then he goes to this Ethiopian eunuch and says, the gospel fully receives you. And then it says the Spirit of the Lord uh, takes him from there. Um, Actually, he goes up in in the narrative, he goes up from there, uh, eventually ends up in Caesarea, But he basically goes up the Mediterranean coast, and he begins to preach in all those cities. And you can actually, and and the reason we need to know this, why why they're telling us about Philip's life, because you go, well, what's all this story about Philip? Acts is giving us the backstory. The backstory is, why is there a church in Africa? Why are there Christians all along the Mediterranean coast here? Why are there Christians in Samaria? 
And the author of Acts is letting us know, Luke is letting us know, they're there because Philip was obedient. Philip was obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and everywhere he went, people got saved. So it says here in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, so after Philip you know, baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And between Azotus and Caesarea is Joppa, and later we hear that there's disciples in Joppa. And uh, so the reason the scripture says he preached in all the cities to Caesarea is we're learning that's how we got disciples in Joppa. So why am I bringing all this up? Well, what we don't realize often when we're reading this is Acts is telling us, why are all these Christians in Samaria? Why are all these Christians in Judea? Because Philip was willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just define himself as someone who waited tables. He didn't just define himself as a second-class Hellenistic Jew. He didn't just define himself as the person who did the stuff that no one else wanted to do. He was faithful to the leading of the Holy Spirit, so much so that you see in the end of his life, Paul visits him, Luke and Paul, and Luke is the author of Acts. In Acts 21, uh, Paul visits, Luke and Paul visit him in Caesarea with his four daughters. And, Phil, and it says not that Philip's a deacon anymore, it says Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. And all four of Philip's daughters prophesy. And there's another prophet there, Agabus, who prophesies that bad things are going to happen to Paul. And everyone begins to weep and basically warn Paul, don't go ahead to Jerusalem because persecution is coming your way. I want you to see the power of this. Philip, 20 years before that, had his friend Stephen martyred by Paul. 20 years later, uh, Philip has four daughters who love Jesus so much that they're prophesying and they're prophesying, weeping over Paul because they're afraid that Paul will be martyred, the person who martyred their father's friend. Philip is afraid that Paul will be martyred. And 20 years before that, Philip's friend Stephen was martyred by Paul. This is what happens when you follow the Holy Spirit. Transformation occurs. You go from someone who volunteers for a project that no one wants to do to a mighty man of God who's considered Philip the evangelist. And right now, there are people listening. I know there is someone listening right now where you've been hiding out. You've been hiding away. You've been limiting God's purposes for your life. God has a bigger purpose for your life, and you don't get to define who you are. God defines who you are. Take that next spirit-led step. There was nothing wrong with Philip the deacon. But Philip wasn't supposed to stay Philip the deacon. He became Philip the evangelist. And the reason he became Philip the evangelist, because he was Philip the one willing to follow the Spirit's leading. Every one of us are called on this journey to follow the Spirit's leading. Every one of us. And the next step is not dependent upon how strong we are today. It's not dependent upon how people define us today. It's, it's dependent upon our willingness to say yes to the Spirit's leading. I want to ask you that question. Are you willing to say yes to the Spirit's leading in your life? 
we're so worried sometimes about defining ourselves, what our spiritual gifts are, what our spiritual weaknesses are, you know, what we do well, what we do poorly, what we've done in the past. And I believe right now God is coming to some of you and just saying, I, I honestly, what you've done before has nothing to do with what I'm going to do through you in the future. Just follow me. Follow me. And if you follow God, you can have an amazing testimony like Philip's, where countless people can receive the good news of Jesus Christ because you were willing to do what? Just to be obedient and to go reach out to the people no one else wanted to reach out to, to the Samaritans, to, to the African eunuch that was seen as unclean in the temple. But God said, you're not unclean. I baptize you in my water. You've been called to reach these people. Take that next step in faith. Take it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I'd love to hear if you enjoyed it. I Text me at this number, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. And we need people to donate to keep this show on the air. So go to fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org and donate today. Your $25 gift keeps us on the air. It's that simple. That's how the economy works for this show. Your gift is what keeps us on the air. Go to fairlyspiritual.org. Make room for the Lord. Take that next step. He loves you and knows you by name. I will see you next time. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.